Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello. And welcome to The Legacy Tapes, a series of podcasts exploring how to leave something lasting in the ephemeral medium of theatre. And I want to begin today's episode by giving a massive thank you shout out to Amber Massey Blomfeld, who is our first patron as part of our Patreon fundraising initiative. Um, Every episode, all of all of the work that goes into these podcasts is done purely for the love of it. And recently we started a funding campaign through Patreon um, just to allow essentially me, Rebecca, to be paid a little bit for the work that I do and probably to learn to record a little bit better so there's some better sound quality. So if you feel like that's a good thing, um, I'd really appreciate it if you would follow Amber's lead and visit uh, patreon.com slash the legacy tapes. Uh, I'm here today with Paul Hunter, the co-founder and artistic director of Told by an Idiot. Um, hello, Paul. Hello. Hello. Uh, so we just had to turn this on in a hurry because we were going to start talking. Um, so do you want to tell me what you were about to say just then? I was just about to say because we were touching on the notion of you said something rather interesting, which was how do you kind of leave a legacy for something that's so ephemeral? And yeah. I think that's a really intriguing uh, thought somehow. And I've just been working in the rehearsal room this morning with the brilliant Joss Hoobin, um, co-founder of Complicite, and uh, extraordinary master of all things physical comedy. Mm. Um, and I think it's a very intriguing when... And our work obviously fits in this tradition, and the show we're currently working on about Charlie Chaplin and Stan Laurel certainly did, is that when you're working on work that, where there isn't always a record of it, it's kind of been handed on, it's been passed on by performer to performer. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily exist in some archive or in a script. Yeah. And um, I think sometimes that legacy thing sits in the people themselves, mm-hmm. like... You know, Joss and certainly early Complicite shows were a massive influence on us, and they gave us permission, I think, Haley mm. and I and John, to do what we do. Not to copy them, but yeah, the yeah. license to go, oh, you mean you can do that? That's you can allowed. make something that, yeah, that's allowed. Yeah. And we all know in life, sometimes we need permission. We need to go, ah, yeah. someone needs to go before us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, in a way, that kind of feels that that has something continues or that has something has a, a legacy. Yeah, and that's really interesting because one of the reasons I, I sort of wanted to talk to you for this was that I remember you teaching me way back when, you won't remember it, like years ago, um, and you saying, a couple of things you saying, and one of them was, if it's bad, make it worse. Um, and that, I think I say that in every rehearsal process I'm in, like wh- whatever this is, let's dig in and make it more awful. Um, which then makes it funnier, obviously. <laughs> and then that gap between horror and like disaster and joy. Um, and so there's, there's something really interesting about the legacy that kind of spins out of when you're a company like Told by an Idiot, who's so, who, who is sort of making their own way with lots and lots of influences from the past, but, in, but you know, distilling it in your own way. <clears throat> Are you aware of the impact that your work might have or have had? Um. It's an interesting thing because I think in some ways you, you, you plough on and you make it 
from the beginning you're excited in something and, and, and an idea and the mm. relationships, the dynamics between people, Haley, me and John in the early days and you're not really conscious necessarily of the effect it might have. You are hopefully if it's well received but yeah. you're kind of caught up in that really and then sometimes that kind of grows around you, mm. you and I think that probably happened a bit to us in a sense over the years and it's 26 years now. I suppose I'm always very flattered and, and, and intrigued when younger artists or companies maybe cite us in some shape or form. Mm. I always find that a really intriguing uh, idea, I suppose. But I'm always firmly of the belief that the most exciting rooms are when they're a real mix of personalities and generations. So, yeah. you know, again, in the, the room at the moment, the Chaplin and Laurel, we have two brilliant young performers playing those two characters mixed with... Uh, you know, Joss and myself, and um, so I suppose I'm aware of, of of the fact that hopefully we've had some impact, but I think I'm probably slightly more fascinated and passionate about how you stay relevant or how one, whatever that means, yeah. but how you stay present. And I think one of the biggest things, mainly because again we're working with a jazz musician, is the way some really great jazz musicians like Miles Davis always look to the younger generation of performers. And mm. I think there is a danger sometimes as you progress that you end up working with your peers and with your collaborators and they and remain... nobody thinks differently. Exactly, yeah. and I think we, want, we need that provocation. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm pleased that maybe we've had some kind of impact, but I think... We, we constantly need provoking and refreshing from lots of different places. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go, because we jumped straight in, because otherwise we'd forget to say things. Yeah. But going backwards, so company founded in 1993. Correct. Uh, you and Haley and John. Correct. Tell me about that process. What, how, why, how, what made you go, I am going to start a company, I'm not going to be a jobbing actor. Well. Uh, Even though you still are. Oh, yes. Sort of jobbing actor, well, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> still, just still looking for work. Yeah. Um, uh, we met at Middlesex Poly mm -hmm. in 1986. Haley and I were performers. John was a teacher. Uh, we were students, and he was uh, he was uh, uh, part of our course. And his teaching was different to anybody else's or anything I'd ever encountered in terms of its concentration on spontaneity and the, the body and movement mm. and mass. So there were a core of us that got very excited by John's teaching and I think it had the perfect combination that all teaching should have. It, it generated a combination of excitement and fear in all of us. So you <laughs> went to the class with that brilliant tension yeah. between terror and I've got to go. Um, and then luckily I think something, John identified in Haley and I, something that happened mm. when we played together or improvised. Right. And we were encouraged by that obviously. We didn't analyse it and neither have, have we ever. When we subsequently left, John, uh, for, wonderfully for us, said, you should do something together. And Haley and I went away and went to a, met in a cafe, I remember, in Camden Town and proceeded to have no ideas at all. <laughs> so we then said, look, why don't we go away and try and be actors? Yeah. And at that point, you had to get your equity card as well to be an actor. So yeah, we yeah. both went off. Being mates, we were always going to stay in touch. And about five years later... We, I found a, a, a tiny episode in A Hundred Years of Solitude by Garcia Marquez, mm -hmm. and we went to John and it, we made a show and it became our first show in Edinburgh. Right at the heart of that beginning is the reason why we're still going, I would I mm -hmm. say. Because we didn't have an idea yeah. and we went away, that sense of being a group and then departing and coming back has meant we've 
carried on. I think if we'd have stayed together and made a show straight away and been a company, mm. maybe we might have gone a few years, but we wouldn't go anywhere near this. I think the sense of going away and coming back has kept us fresh and, and interested, I suppose. But when, even when we went to Edinburgh with that first show, um, we weren't thinking about starting a company. The reason really was we wanted to make something that no one had done before. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to do a play off the shelf. We wanted yeah. to say, whatever happens, however bad this experience in Edinburgh might be, at least we can say no one has done this show before. Yeah. And that was our thinking, really. And then luckily, I think, with a combination of luck and good fortune and the right people seeing it, it kind of took off. And it was only after that that we thought, OK, maybe there's... Something Maybe more this in should this. be a thing. Exactly, but we certainly didn't set yeah. out to form a company, no. And do you still go away and come back? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Hayley is now an associate of the company, so she comes and goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I come and go to work as an actor outside yeah. of the company, and sometimes, less so now, but to direct outside of the company. Mm-hmm. And I think that... I mean, on one simple level, if you go away and you have a brilliant experience, you come back and you go, wow, I've learned so much. We did yeah. this. It's, I can pass that on. If you've had a terrible experience... You're like, I you, love you all. Exactly. You come back and go, <laughs> I'm I so got it, you not again. Yeah. So it's a win-win, really. Yeah. You can't really lose on that. You know? And also it means that you're continually kind of feeding your well, right? Like yes, you're refilling your, your well. And remaining curious, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so... You said something really interesting about wanting to do something that no one else had done. And just kind of thinking back, because I was, I mean, I was a tiny child at that point. Um, so, well, not tiny, but middle-sized yeah. child. Um, and I was just kind of thinking about sort of the 90s and kind of the growth of new writing as a genre and sort of what you were doing at that point was not that. It was, you were the, you were the anti-well-made play. Mm-hmm. You were the well-made something else or the... You know, <laughs> the, the, the well clowned or devoured, I don't know what the word is. So what what was that? Were you aware of yourself being kind of slightly countercultural in how you worked? Or did it feel like that? Or am I, history, you know... No, me- it's an interesting point. If I, if I look back to the, that period in the early 90s and then the mid-90s when we got going, I think post-complicite there was a raft of companies that maybe had come out of Lecoq in Paris mm. and... Various places in the UK, Bretton Hall, Middlesex for us. I mean, Phelim and Improbable were a couple Mm -hmm. of years above us. So there were were places that were generating people who wanted to make work in a slightly different way. Um, But then inevitably, certainly in this country, you get labelled very quickly. Um, And we fell under the banner of physical theatre, which we always found, we always reacted against and found slightly ludicrous and being firmly of the belief that all theatre is physical. So, so, uh, it should be. I'm not sure. Sadly, not well, always, I think. So I think we kind of... There was a kind of avenue that we were kind of... Or a box we were pushed into. Mm. I think we were always conscious that, for us, it was new work. Mm-hmm. We were primarily interested in making new yeah. stuff. And you know, as, I've, as we've grown older, I think that I think we see our work very much as new writing. If we go... When we take our work abroad, we're just seen as a British company doing new work. Because we write collaboratively mm. in a room and there isn't a single authorial voice, yeah. doesn't mean it's not writing. No, I totally agree with you, you but know, there's a lot of snobbery about Oh my that, God, right? which is why I think in the early days when our shows said devised by the company, I think we maybe gave a, a, a stick to be beaten with in the mm. sense that people, if they didn't particularly take to it, the, often the criticism was these people need a writer what they need is a right. um, and I think um, some of our shows were better than others of course they were but and I love working with writers which sometimes do but yeah. I, I was firmly of the belief that work of great rigour and great 
uh, validity can be created collaboratively. Mm. I don't think... I suppose we... I suppose there was an, enough of a group of us at that time, some of which, of course, have fallen by the wayside. I think what maybe defined us slightly more was a real desire and commitment to making sure that whatever we did, that the spoken word or the text we created had the same rigour and strength as our physical work. Mm-hmm. We didn't want people to go, oh, well, they're great physically, but the, the text is a bit rubbish. So we really committed to that, really. But I don't know. I... I, I yeah, I suppose that, 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 that there was a kind of an area of that physical world that we were bracketed with, but we've never kind of thought of ourselves as particularly countercultural. Or, um, and I think it's weird, isn't it? Things come in and out of fashion. Yeah. You know, sometimes people are the hot thing, and then someone else is, and that you know that's the way it is. Yeah, and and I, and I definitely remember kind of coming out of college and drama school, and you guys and feeling like you guys were really cool, <laughs> like really really cool, um, and that and and. Yeah, like naught, early noughties, I guess. And sort of feeling like... Because I'd come from such a traditional, like, Shakespeare, mm-hmm. read the text, look at the verse, mm-hmm. um, uh, background, that, that, that this idea of something that wasn't words as a starting point felt really revolutionary to me. Um, and coming out of drama school and f- being aware of almost being these two pillars of, like, the stuff that you did and Complicité did and Improbable did and Knee High and, you know, that family of work. Yeah. And then there's the stuff that, like, the other people do. Really aware of that. And sort of... And now as a... Now in, in sort of my, my, my practice for the last, however long, 15 years, has been so much about contemporary performance, especially for the last decade, which feels... It feels really like there's a straight line through from your family of work through to what's going on now on kind of the cutting edge of weirdy theatre yeah. in a way that it it doesn't relate in quite the same way to the to the the book the the book that you start with yeah. um are you aware of that as i a, think i became not not more aware of it but i i went out and I, up to edinburgh this year for the first time in a long time we hadn't taken a show there mm. for years and I went to help out on a friend's show and then saw a lot of work and mm. very consciously chose to see things that I didn't know about, uh, not heard of or someone mm. recommended and I saw some things which are, which are, are clearly, you know, uh, like ship theatre I saw for the first oh, time. Oh, the ships, I love the ships. And I really ships. enjoyed it. I yeah. really had a great evening and yeah. I, I'd heard about them and I'd read about yeah. them. And they, and they are, they're, they're idiots. They, they're well, they are. Yeah. They're, they're really... In, Interesting performers because, of course, they're kind of anti-theatre in, in a sense, yeah. in a playful and provocative yeah. way. But their relationship with the audience and their anarchy it really chimed with me. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're maybe more, certainly in the show I last saw, maybe more fiercely and more overtly political than yeah, we it was would multi, be. Yeah, it was a the, the, the to get that with that's it. But yeah. I kind of found myself going, oh, I can, I, I, I can see... I could see a, a connection I, in some ways. Yeah. Like it was different, but in a way, I thought, "Oh yes, this is really." It's about people creating something and reacting against something and owning something. Mm-hmm. I think, and um, I don't know. I know what you mean about the. Well, you obviously, you know, you know this from a venue like the Oval House, where you must have had a, a really a, a incredible mix of different types of new work, whatever yeah. that means. Yeah, yeah. Um, and occasionally I kind of think it, it's 
it's great how the th- the differences you talk about from the, the the world of the Shakespearean and the some of course some movement has happened between those two worlds yeah. and we've been part of that as well, but uh, I, I think we kind of it's interesting that notion of what I I, I think we've we've managed to hopefully tread that line between the establishment and something that mm. would be but I know you know by the very fact we're 26 years old and we're co-producing okay, with the people we are makes us firmly the establishment yeah. so <laughs> I'm not in any way tended to be cool or yeah. say we're not of course we are by the fact that we're still going but I kind of I think inevitably what happens in anything is that the things that maybe happen on the fringe or in more alternative mm. ultimately always gets embraced by the yeah. nation that's the way the world over yeah, yeah. but you know, for me, I, on a personal level, I found it very refreshing seeing the new Lissy Preble play at the Old Vic, which yeah. was written in, in its form in a highly theatrical, playful, anarchic way. And I really enjoyed seeing that kind of play dealing with, you know, a, a big political story mm-hmm. told in a highly theatrical highly spontaneous way but written by a very very yeah. established playwright yeah, yeah. and and it's a very traditional theatre it's a traditional thought, way yeah I thought this is quite interesting yeah I think there's something about just thinking about the shits um uh who I just called idiots but I meant that as in they are told like told by an idiot yes. you refer to yes. as idiots yes. just, yes. just clarify that Becca and Louise I wasn't calling you stupid just yeah. to be clear um yeah and there's something about the way they talk about almost being their work being about anti-virtuosity mm-hmm. About about the kind of the the uh, the accessibility of the attempt or the fuck up or the mm-hmm. it, it is so much what you know what what you teach yeah. as, as I recall yeah, you know that yeah. sense of just being um, vulnerable and fragile and an idiot yeah. yeah it's interesting I think that they they you're absolutely right they really go for that. Mm. And I saw the show very early in Edinburgh. And yeah. Clearly, they had I, I, I think some technical issues, which they talked about quite candidly yeah. in the show yeah. and in the bar after. But I kind of thought, if I return to see this in a month's time, they it, it won't be they won't have polished this in a sense that that's gone. They will be celebrating that still. Yeah. I think, in a sense, for us, there's always been a slight tension, in a good way, between the naivety and anarchy of what we're exploring at the same time in some ways I think we do celebrate the virtuosity of the performer I think there's a, a sense where those two things they sound contradictory but uh, I'm fascinated by the skill of a performer to sustain an idea mm. to be able to to play with something and I think that's always been at the heart of us is that kind of tension and I suppose in a sense that's what comes back to what I said at the beginning about that if there's any legacy it's wrapped up in the kinds of performers that we are mm. and who and the performers that have worked with us because yeah. I think if anything we celebrate anything at Tolman we celebrate the role of the performer mm. and that's not to negate everybody else's role but I think it's it's at the heart because of what Hayley and I are it's at the heart of what we're about mm. it's seen through that prism yeah. somehow yeah absolutely and I think Again, it, it's just, this is a slightly weird conversation in that in that we've worked together like because we worked on Troyes and Cressida and you taught me and but we also don't really know each no, other. Yeah. Um, so I have a slightly odd insight in a way that I don't with anyone else no. to talk about. Yeah, because um, yeah, I, I remember I think probably in uh, the Globe one day you leaving uh, you leaving the room in like a, a cl- you were clowning your ass off just for shits and giggles. It wasn't like mm-hmm. um, and and things going wrong. Purpo- like purposefully virtuosically um, but it 
if, if I'd been an outsider and not knowing what the context was, you'd kind of think that it was this absolute bumbling idiot who couldn't, couldn't walk out the door. Um, and, I, and, I, and it's really sort of stuck with me of that, that um, the incredible control... Something about controlled failure. Don't know where I'm going yeah. with this, right? Yeah. Something about like allowing, allowing the fuck up, allowing the failure, almost encouraging it because that's a way into a new thing. Mm. That I feel like I see a lot in your, yeah. in your work. Yeah, um, I think I think the sense of being ever present or to be to be in a place where it can only be theatre, it can only be a live thing in front of an audience, mm. and I think we're constantly searching for that. And and kind of reveling in that experience, I think. And I think we've, I keep returning to the performer, but I think we've been fortunate over the years to work with performers who are incredibly relaxed in that world. Mm. I mean, the biggest example would be Pfefferbridge, and he and I were doing My Perfect Mind, and yeah. it was just the two of us. And I think he's he had the brilliant combination, which I hope I have when I'm his age, hopefully is that maybe some older people have, of not caring. He didn't really <laughs> care. And I found that really, really yeah. endearing. I learned so much from the fact that he didn't really care. He, of course he cared. Yeah. But on one level, it appeared that he simply didn't. So that yeah. when we shared the stage, he didn't really... And the structure of the show, to be fair, gave licence and space for this. But if something was on his mind, he would talk about it in the in the show. He mm. wouldn't suppress that desire. <laughs> and because of the structure, it would be my job to kind of help steer us back into some kind of structural... Yeah. Um, but the audience loved that, and I think they enjoyed the fact that it wasn't like anything else. Now, we don't seek to do that. You can't seek to do something that's original. But I think sometimes through stumbling on an idea and the people involved, it can take us to a place that, for us, feels... Slightly different than hopefully for an audience, they go, oh, I never expected, I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't this. And it's not like a play and it's not like a, it's not stand up. But I suppose that's what I, the the blurring of lines has always interested us, I think. Yeah, and there's something about, um, I just think about that because I I remember seeing it in New York, something about like the liveness of, you you know, you not knowing what the the fuck was going to happen or, um, and I think that's, I mean, maybe that's when I'm when I talk about kind of the line from you guys to contemporary performance. Maybe that's what I mean. This sense of n- this isn't all predestined. Yeah, maybe that's what we're yeah, if we yeah. to come back to shit theatre. I think maybe that's the thing: the comfortableness with the fact of we don't quite know everything here. Yeah. Uh, but we're seeking in however we do it, and shit theatre do it in a very different way to us. We are seeking to reassure you that it's okay. Yeah, we hold we're, you exactly in yeah. the same way that we are. You are aware yeah. that these guys don't quite know everything and potentially don't quite know what they're doing. There's something about them that reassures you, yeah. and that contradiction is a very interesting. One. Yeah, I feel in safe hands, but they don't seem to know what they're doing. It's an odd. But you know what? Uh, I, because I know them a little bit, and it's because they're the, some of the smartest people I've ever met. No, I'm sure. And they Without do. a doubt. But it's, you know, I... Do the, the, that the, doesn't the, surprise yeah, me. Yeah, no. the skill to do that, the skill to look... No, that's... I have take my hat off, and that's... Yeah. I, I completely... I don't know them. I, mean, I saw the show, and no. I chatted to them briefly, but I had no doubt there's a fierce intelligence going on there between yeah. them and in them, and through their work. Yeah. Those things where p- people misread those type, that type of work at their peril because it's like when sometimes we've, you know, again, coming back to some of the phys- mm. physical stuff we do and companies like Spy Monkey were very different to mm. us, but 
I sometimes get frustrated when people go, oh, that's easy to do that. You know, that kind of what appears frivolous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what appears frivolous. Yeah. yeah. You go, you can have many opinions about whether you like it, or you have any opinion like it, of course, but if you don't like it, but I think the idea that that is an easy thing to do, you mm. go into a room and try and achieve that, yeah. and very quickly you will go, wow, this yeah. is this is not so straightforward yeah, as I yeah. thought. So, yeah. um, no, you said a kind of controlled anarchy or a control, you know, it's not all random, it's not mm. it's at all. Yeah, it's really and, yeah. um, so, things, there's so many things I want to ask, and I'm conscious that we don't have that long today. Um, a new question that I'm trying to ask people is, um, what has failure been for you? Because um, I think I'm, I'm the background to this, I guess, is that I'm a, I'm definitely approaching middle age now, and I've done like apparently I've emerged. I don't know where I've emerged to, and I'm consciously kind of aware that I'm not a bright young thing anymore, even if I ever was. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that mean? And, and it's a constant, in this industry, there's this constant thing of, like, I'm just managing it, I'm just carrying on, I'm yeah. just... And I and I found failure really useful and really fucking awful at the same time, so wisdom, please. Failure, gosh, yeah. I mean, it's... It's interesting, isn't it? Because, of course, it's... Come, it, 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 in the work itself, it's an intrinsic part of what that is. Mm. But I completely relate to someone who's approaching middle age from the other side. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of completely relate to what you say when you say, I'm getting away with it or I'm just about clinging mm. on. Or I think uh, however apparently successful one can appear mm. to be or be perceived as, I think there's, unless you're very, very self-confident or deluded I think you're going to question that all the time I suppose I mean and also I suppose it's how you look at what success is in a Mm. way you know we've not had enormous commercial success Mm. in in a you know people have stepped around us with my perfect mind there was two or three talk times about the show going into the West End and I never much as I enjoyed the breakfast and the lunch that someone was giving us I said to Rabbi I just don't I just think it's not quite if, if this was, if they were suddenly to recast it with Ian McKellen and Toby Jones, maybe, <laughs> maybe someone, someone, <laughs> a bad idea, I'd see that show. Um, maybe they would take the punt, but no disrespect to Edward, who has had an extraordinarily illustrious career. We're not quite well known enough in a, in a, in a show that would be perceived as quite alternative. Yeah. And I think, I don't see that as a failure. I think we've had enormous sort of opportunities with our work. Um, but Ian McKellen and Toby Jones couldn't do that. Well, there you are. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure they do a brilliant job of it in their own way. Um, uh, but I think I only if, if I think about I've got so many things that I still want us to explore and do, and I think it's and we certainly made shows that if I look back on are. Oh, deeply flawed mm. things where I thought well, if I had another go at that <laughs> yeah. I'd, fr- I'd approach that differently I, not necessarily big failures but things where inevitably if you've mm. got any sense of examining yourself you go oh, why did I make that choice or why did I um, but in terms of a bigger notion of what that is part of me feels it's it, it, it's that constant <laughs> attempt 
to maybe this chimes again with what you said it's to, to persuade people to let you do it I feel like we're always at, because we're not yeah. giving them a script on the whole we're not yeah. saying or if they ask for a script there either isn't one or we're trying subtle ways of not giving it to them at the, yeah. you know. um, and I think yeah. it's not about getting it's not that we're not confident in what we do but I'm I'm aware that there is that sense of still persuading people to invest and I mean that in the biggest sense mm. in an idea and I think, I think we've learned from different shows, and I think, I think the biggest thing is to, is for us is to try and keep that focus on the work. It's not always easy, but is to think about it in that sense rather than oh, I, 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 am I getting those opportunities or are we getting that kind of opportunity? It doesn't really answer your question, but I I, I don't know. It's a it, it's, it's a good thing to reflect on. It's a, certainly a good thing to reflect on. Um. Yeah, I don't think there are answers no. to questions on this. It's no. always no. a fairly loose, freewheeling chat. Yeah. Um, it's a total out of the sort of left field, because you're from the Midlands, aren't you? As am I. Where are you from? Birmingham. I'm from Wolverhampton. Oh, brilliant. Um, and I think you were the first actor I ever heard having my voice oh. on stage um, as a young gun. And it... It's, it's a sort of small hobby horse of mine in my head, and I sort of wonder, are you... Were you ever thinking about kind of representing that voice? And you're allowed to say no. No, no, I think it's interesting, and I think you're, you're right. In fact, you know, I, I, I think it's really important that, that, that you're, you're, you can see yourself in some mm. shape or form. I mean, it's one of the biggest things that theatre has to do, is to represent in yeah. some way. And I kind of... I kind of know what... You, now you've made me think about it. If I think about school trips to the theatre, I've yeah. never heard anyone who sounded like us. The ever. only time I ever heard a, a Midlands accent was in a production... was after I'd seen you in something, and it was in a, a Midsummer Night's Dream, and the mechanicals were stupid brummies. Oh. And I was like, fuck you. No, no thank you. No, I agree. <laughs> it's interesting, I think... Uh, I... Of course, sometimes one does a job where you have to change how you yeah. speak as part of being an actor. Yeah. But I think in its essence, and particularly in uh, the more comic territory, that sense of being able to really play from yourself in some mm. way make, makes a difference. The, the notion of have we ever... Uh, yes, I've, it's, it's kind of played around in our heads a few times around ideas about whether... Even if they're just things you discuss in the pub, you know, mm. to to create, you still don't. It's funny with uh, again. I, I might sound. I can say this to you because you're from the Midlands, of course, and we can sound potentially quite chippy. But it's still an accent which I think is often connected to something comic. Mm. Now you could argue, oh well, Peaky Blinders has has, uh, has done that, but all the Birmingham accents are terrible. They're fucking awful, aren't they? <laughs> That's right, I can't believe anyone's oh from Birmingham. Yeah, so, I can't watch it. No, because of for it, that yeah. reason. Well, I auditioned for it. I have to admit, I auditioned for it, and I said to my agent, "I bet I don't get this." I said, I really, <laughs> and I kind of, you know, I spoke to my brother and his friends just to get back into that group. And sure enough, I didn't get, I'm sure it's because I wasn't right, but part of me went, but I'm from there. Um, I'm from there, you've got to give you me this Come job. on, what's the matter with you? Bloody hell. Um, but I, I kind of, I kind of think it still has, it's one of the few accents that's never kind of become cool. It's yeah. always remained slightly, which has made me go, oh, I'd really at times like to do something where, not for a gimmick, but. You know, they are the central romantic love interest. They are the 
you know, and, and people, as you say, still in a slightly patronising way yeah. will do Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. They wouldn't make them all scousers or all, you know what I mean? Oh, that's a funny, that sing-songy yeah, yeah. accent, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I can't possibly reveal this because it might not happen, but we are doing something that in some ways has a Wolverhampton connection. <gasps> Uh, possibly, yeah. or, or is rooted in Wolverhampton, uh, an accent I really. Uh, oh well, you know, should you need anything uh, that I can do, I'm available. Exactly. I'm available. We can't get any actors from Wolverhampton because <laughs> they don't exist. But you could be our dialect. Oh, All right, excellent, <laughs> brilliant. Um, okay, so I'm running out of time with you. So the the question that I ask everyone at yes. the end is: um, when you go from this place, yeah. and you can take that to mean this room told by an idiot or this astral plane yes okay um, what is it that you want to leave behind well um, as we've been kind of talking uh, obviously in a sense about the idiots I, I we've always believed Hayley John and I I think from the beginning and certainly Hayley and me over the years that for us, the company had a life whilst some combination of us mm. were committed to it. So it's not a situation where we go, oh, I don't want to do it, then we'll put an advert in the stage and someone else can yeah. run. This seems a very odd yeah. thing. So it, it would end, I think. I, and This might sound slightly romantic and it's probably influenced by the Stan and Charlie, Charlie work in there, inevitably, which has a kind of romanticism about it. I think I'd like to leave behind a collection of shows over the years that for a brief amount of time in that room, if you saw it, you experienced something that really made you laugh, really provoked you, captivated and moved you, and it existed for that time and was gone. And we've never felt the need to record anything or mm. have something published and really, but something that you might go, oh, do you remember that moment when, when that happened in a particular thing? So I suppose it is the ephemeral. That's what the notion of theatre is for us, that it's there and it's gone. So I think fleetingly probably something like that, yeah. Mm. Some... It's interesting you started talking about... Um... The, the like the, the the great comic routines and techniques mm. and things that are kind of passed through actors, mm. and one of um, and Rachel Briscoe who used to work at Ogle House with me, is really fond of talking about how the meaning of the thing of the show, it goes on in the people that saw it forever. It's always changing and they're always kind of for as long as they remember it, it's in dialogue with them. And I sort of like that we've kind of come yeah. a circle yeah. because that's what yeah. it's about. I guess passing that next thing that someone else will then inherit, I guess. Yes. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, nice. Have you got anything else that you want to say? I don't think so. It's been a very pleasant half an hour. It's very... It's very... Again, it's quite provocative. as I, as we, We've only just started four days into a new show, a rehearsal, mm. and it's quite interesting to have this dialogue about stuff in, in this kind of area. You know, um, but no, thank you very much. That's right. Tell us, shows on at Wilton. Show opens in Plymouth. The Strange Tale of Charlie Chaplin, Stan Laurel opens. I think something like the fifteenth, sixteenth of November in Plymouth. Yeah. And then it comes to London at Wilton's Music Hall as part of the Mind Festival from the thirteenth of January. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Cheerful. Thank you.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 